0: And let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We thank you for the word. I'm asking this morning that the scripture would be alive to us. Let it be light and revelation. I pray that you would compel us through revelation of your desire. Open the eyes of our understanding today. And lay forth a track, a path before us, that we can engage with in the days to come. And Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for your word. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Amen. Good. Psalm 27. We're going to start a a new series. I'm going to take a few weeks, and we're just going to take a good long look at Psalm 27. Uh, Of course, we've come out of this season of renewal and awakening, and the Lord spoke to us real clearly uh, about while the Lord was still moving... In power during the awakening services and during the season to go ahead and just pull back and take a season. Uh, who knows how long the Lord a season could be ten years, but that's fine. Whatever, I think probably shorter than that. But take a season and seek His face with real focus with increased intensity. And uh, and the Lord spoke to us and He said, "And I'll take it from ankle deep where it's been where the move of the Spirit has been, and I'll increase it to knee deep." And we heard that word, and we said, yes, sir, we are in for knee-deep. Ankle-deep has been wonderful, but uh, if the Lord's saying, hey, this is the way to get uh, to knee-deep, then I want, I want you to, to go for it, and we're all, we're all for that. So we're, we're transitioning a little bit, and just going back to the thing that we are, we're called to do primarily, which is to be before the Lord in the place of prayer. And so uh, one of the, the words that kind of came forth was that the Lord was inviting us to a Psalm 27 season, a Psalm 27-4 uh, uh, Psalm season, and so I wanted to take a few weeks and just uh, lay Psalm 27 out, get it in context, and uh, take a good look at it. You know, I realized myself that um, I'm really familiar with Psalm 27 verse 4, which is the one thing I've asked, this one thing I seek of the Lord, that I may dwell in his house and, and gaze on his beauty and inquire of his temple. All the days of my life. That that verse is a verse that I've focused on quite a bit. But I realized as I began to open up uh, Psalm 27 that I hadn't really paid much attention to the rest of the chapter. And uh, it's helpful to get uh, the context of scriptures. You know, you, you, we all have our favorite scriptures, and uh, it beat your scriptures at times. Because we know the one we really like, but then when you actually put it in context, you go, whoa, that. That says a whole lot more than I thought it was saying. And Psalm 27-4 is just like that. It has, uh, the context of Psalm 27 has much to say about what Psalm 27-4 is really saying. And so, uh, as is always the case with the word, it's really, really helpful to get it in context to get a clear understanding, clear uh, revelation of the text. So uh, I'm going to lay Psalm 27 out for you, and, and this is a good opportunity to take notes and kind of pay attention to, and I want to give you a, a, a little bit of a path where you could study this thing on your own. Um, I'm going to kind of break it down for you a bit, and I'll take two or three weeks, I don't know, a couple weeks, and go through the different parts of the chapter, and, uh, and I think it is, it's going to be a very good springboard for us. We've been calling... Um, for the last several weeks, calling the house, calling the community here to really engage with the Lord in prayer, to, to, uh, if, you know, as you can with your schedule, to make some, some uh, schedule choices, get in the prayer room more. And so this is going to be a good springboard to help you, um, you know, move forward in that Psalm 27 4 focus, which is dwelling in the house of the Lord. Okay, so Psalm 27. Let's just read it through, and then we'll begin to break it down a bit. I, I am uh, always amazed at how every phrase in the Scripture is packed with revelation. And uh, I, I, I don't know about you, but the slower I read the Bible, the more, the more revelation I get. When I try to read it fast, I don't, I don't quite get the the, uh, depth, but when I slow it down, it's, it's always shocking to me. And I'll just take one verse at times and I'll spend an hour in one verse and it always surprised. I don't know why I'm always surprised, (laughs) but I'm always surprised at how rich any, I mean, just virtually any given verse is. So let's just, let's read these 14 verses and then we'll come down, uh, come and begin to break it down a bit. Psalm 27, verse 1, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me and this I will be confident or you could say even in this I will be confident verse 4 one thing I have desired of the Lord that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple verse 5 for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me he shall set me high upon a rock And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. Verse 13, I would have lost heart or I would have fainted unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. It's good to read the Bible, and what a good chapter. So in staring at this, it's of this chapter. Let me give them to you. I'm not getting these from a commentator. I've read some commentators on it, several. But it occurs to me that the... Parts are, as I'm about to give them to you. There's four parts, broken down this way: verse one and two, a test is, which is a testimony of David's past deliverances when the Lord has delivered him in the past. Which David, if you read David and you read the Psalms, so often he says, "I'm remembering." the wonderful works of the Lord. And he's stirring himself up by way of reminder. He's, he's declaring the praises of God in his times when the Lord has broken in and brought deliverance for him. And that's what he's doing right here. Verse one and two. He goes, who am I gonna be afraid of? Because when the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, he goes, no, no, no. My, they all fell. They stumbled and fell. And so he starts off, verse one and two, with a, um, a proclamation of praise and testimony of God's deliverances. And then, verse three to five, he declares his confidence in future times when he's gonna need deliverance. And he, and, he, and, he, and, he's, and he basically just says this, he goes, in the time of trouble, he shall hide me. In the time of, of uh, uh, challenges, he's gonna set me on a, a rock, he's gonna put me in a secret place. He goes, uh, I'm not gonna fear when, when war may rise against me. And so he's talking about I'm confident because of what God's done, I'll be confident every time massive challenges come my way. So that's the second part. It's confidence in future deliverances and it's because of intimacy with the Lord. And that's verse 4. That is the the verse 4 is the anchor of the entire chapter. And that's why we focused on verse 4 so much but he's basically saying I'm, I'm uh, able to be confident in the Lord because this is the way I've treated the Lord. This is the way I've treated my life. I've, I've desired always to be before him and gazing on his beauty intimately before the Lord, and therefore I can be confident. That's the idea. Now, verse 6 to 9, or 6 to 12, I should say. In verse 6 to 9, that's part 3, and what it is... It's faith and petition for a current deliverance that David needs. So he remembers the past. He proclaims his confidence in God's future deliverances. And then he begins to say, and right now, right now, O oh Lord, don't turn your face away from me. Because I need you now. Because I've got, I've got adversaries and foes. I've got things rising up against me. Don't deliver me to the will of my adversaries right now. Because there's false witnesses that are breathing violence. He goes, I need help now. Because he I've sought your face, so don't turn your face from me. And we'll talk about that maybe next week or the following week. The, the, the countenance of the Lord and what that means. And then finally, as is David's custom in verse 13 and 14, David, whenever he can, he's going to turn to instruction. He's, you know, when you read the Psalms, you're going to hear Dave say, listen to me, my children, and he'll just go on for a couple verses and give a little bit of insight, a little bit of instruction. And that's what he does in verse 13 and 14. He goes, let me tell you guys something. He goes, I would have fainted a long time ago if I didn't believe the Lord was going to come through for me while I was alive in this age. He goes, I would never have made it. I would never have made it. He goes, so I'm telling you, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord's deliverance. So there it is. There's the little instruction. I love how David doesn't leave us out. We're reading his journal. Think about this. The Psalms that David writ written, that David wrote they're like his journal. They're like him writing down little songs from his heart to the Lord and his innermost thoughts. And he's writing them out. And then they sing them in the tabernacle of David. And then when we read them, we can you know, we can sort of consign them to sort of poetry and rhetoric. But th- this is like reading the, the journal of David, his, his innermost thoughts. And, and I love how in his journal, he always turns to us and he goes, now let me tell you, this is the way you need to think. This is how you need to apply this. And so his... The final verse is his application for us. He goes, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. So there it is. There's the four parts. I think the theme of the whole chapter is confidence in the Lord's deliverance. Confidence in the Lord's deliverance. It's easy to focus on verse four and say, well, the theme of the chapter is the beauty of the Lord. And I do believe there's a major thrust and a focus on the beauty of the Lord and gazing on the beauty of the Lord. But the whole chapter is clear. It's confidence in the Lord's deliverance. And so then there's two different times uh, that people, let me just say it this way, the scholars are kind of unclear as to when David actually wrote this. And so there's two kind of main times that they think that David was writing based on what's going on here in in the verses. The first time is when David is in the cave of Adullam, when he's on the run from Saul as a young man, and he has to send his parents away to be guarded by the, the king of Moab. The king of Moab kind of owed David a favor. And so, and so he sends his parents away when David is uh, camped up in the cave of Adullam. And, and that, the verse where it says, when my parents forsake me, they'll tell you, the scholars will say that it could be just read, when my parents are away from me or can't take care of me. And so some scholars see it as that, is when David's a young man and he's hiding in the cave of Adullam and he sends his parents away to be guarded by the king of Moab. The second option, which I think is that's the one that I kind of line up with, is you'd find it in Second Samuel, uh, particularly chapter 15, but it's you know 13 through 17, 18, 19, those chapters there, during Absalom's rebellion. So just real quickly, Absalom is estranged from the kingdom. David leaves him uh, three years where he can't he Absalom David's son can't be in Jerusalem. Brings him back, Absalom's got a a little bit of a bitter chip on his shoulder. And what Absalom does, he stands in the city gates and he begins, every person that's got a a need for the king to, to judge on their behalf, Absalom stands in the city gates and he goes, oh, brother, and he begins to hug every guy that comes in from all over the tribes of Israel. Oh, brother, I hear your problem. Oh, if there were just a king in Israel that cared about justice for the people. Oh, if I were a king, I would, if I were a judge, oh, I'd be on your team. And he literally hugs and kisses everybody until the rumor goes throughout the entire land of Israel that Absalom would be an awesome king better than David and he would rule with justice on behalf of the people. Well, it's a, it's a lie. The Lord's testimony of David is that he ruled with justice on behalf of the people. But Absalom brings this accusation and he, he walks it out by basically shaking hands and kissing babies. He does the politician thing. Gets the people on his side... And then he goes, hey, uh, David, father, I'm going to go to to Hebron. I've got a vow I've got to make to the Lord. And what does he do? He stirs up conspiracy, brings some leaders with him. He says, we're going to Hebron. And when I'm in Hebron, I want you guys to declare me king. And we'll have people all throughout Israel and all the leading cities. And they'll all declare Absalom is king in Hebron. And it'll stir up a dissension. it'll, It'll stir up a rebellion. And then we'll take the throne in Jerusalem. And that's exactly what he does. Ha, uh, Absalom goes to Hebron, stirs this up. They proclaim Absalom king in Hebron. And then he's on his way back. And when he's on his way back to Jerusalem, David gathers 600 of his leading folks, and he, and he leaves the throne. And he actually goes out of Israel, actually go, out of Jerusalem, I should say, and he actually goes even far enough where he crosses the Jordan, which is where I believe he wrote Psalm 42 it says, beyond the Jordan, my heart, my soul, it longs for God. And I believe that Psalm 27 is written in that season as well, when he's on the run, and Absalom ends up stirring up the armies of the Lord against David, and brings them against David, and there's a major war within Israel. And by the hand of the Lord, David's men end up prevailing, and they strike down the, the rebellion. It's Really good. Some guy did a good movie. He could really land that one. Really interesting, intriguing story. But I believe David wrote it during the time of Absalom's rebellion when he's staring at armies that are trying to take his life. He's got 600 men against thousands and thousands of the armies of Israel. And So here he is. Now that you kind of get the feeling of it. David on the run. And he starts off, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. (laughs) Whom shall I fear? Ah, I love David. I just love David. David, I mean, he will bounce back and forth at times in his heart and trust in the Lord. You kind of get his internal processes. And then he... As a writer, he bounces back and forth from this strong warrior. He's just like, Lord, crush my enemies before me. From that version to, and I want to gaze on your beauty. And he goes back and forth. We just see this, this uh, panorama of emotion and an internal workings of this man, David, who Isaiah tells us in chapter 55, he's a type of Messiah. He's a type of Jesus. And um, and so here's David. He's on the run. He's got, I believe, he's got uh, armies bearing down on him. He's been betrayed by his own son. He's got people like Shimei coming and throwing stones and proclaiming, "Now God will avenge all the bloodshed of the house of Saul." He's got Mephibosheth, who he had shown a lot of favor to, who's kind of left him and just said, "You know what? I'm going to go ahead, and it must be time now for the." The, the lineage of Saul to get back on the throne. So Mephibosheth makes his way back to Jerusalem and he's going to get the kingdom. He'd been helping Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. So he's got people turning on him. One of his main counselors turns on him and joins Absalom. He's in a time of betrayal. He's in this time of, of people bearing down on him in war. They're seeking his life once again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Oh, I love David. So, that phrase, the Lord is my light and my salvation, that's better than a good cliche that we've kind of stuffed in a few worship songs. It's way better than that. I want to work it through for a minute. Allow the word just to to rest on us. This word is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It will discern you. (laughs) And I found myself (laughs) discerned by the word just standing under Psalm 27, standing under familiar phrases. As I've said many times, when the phrases are so familiar that we think we've got them and they don't move our heart, I guarantee you it's a sign you have no concept of what those phrases actually are saying. Because every word of the the Lord is light. It it brings life to your flesh. It it pierces your heart. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the tents of your soul. Locates you. So let's look at it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I've broken this verse down into four phrases. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. And then I've combined the whom shall I fear and whom shall I be afraid Let's look at the Lord is my light. 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 I started thinking about this. David is in one of the most precarious positions a leader could be in. He's undergone a mutiny, I think. So again, I won't, now I won't preface it anymore and say this is my opinion of where this lands, but I believe this is where it is. So now I'll just preach it as if, if, if that, I, don't, I, wanna, I don't wanna have to say that every single time, it's my opinion. So there it is, I said it's my opinion. I believe this is when it's happening. So undergone a mutiny, many of the, the close associates and even his counselors have turned from him. And David goes, it's okay. Because I have a light that's not human. I have, I have a, a guide that is not of the strength of men. I I have a counselor that's not a person in that sense. I have a light to guide me and direct me in the time of the greatest need and challenge and trouble, the time of betrayal. If you've ever been betrayed, you know that betrayal is one of the most confusing things you can go through because where you had placed your trust, now it's been crushed and you don't know exactly where your bearings are. And he says in the midst of that betrayal at the hands of his son, he says, the Lord is my light. And I think firstly he's saying, he is my guide. And I began to think about it in my life at times when it's been unclear, at times when the news reports and the economy reports have been negative, and times when the political reports have been kind of strange, at times when maybe uh, close friends or associates and, and, and I weren't seeing eye to eye or going through a time of, of challenge or feeling betrayed. Uh, you know, it's in that time that this is what This is what matters. That at that time, you lock on to the Lord as your light. That's the key. And I started going through my life and taking a little inventory, just allowing the word to discern me a little bit and going, you know, when I've gone through challenging times when the numbers in the checkbook weren't as high as they needed to be or I wasn't as clear on, you know, uh, family, friendship, relationships, or just whatever, and when, when challenges were around me, Have I locked into the Lord as my light, as my guide, as the one who illumines my steps? Have I locked into him as my leader, and my guide in those situations? Or have I looked to human means? Come on, Fox News, give me some, tell me that the new political scope is going to be different than it's been. You know, come on, you know, give me a better report on the economy so that I can... You know, expect there to be, uh, you know, a, a greater financial supply. You know, is it in the time of challenges, and I just look into my life, have I locked into the Lord as the premier guide of my life? And I think sometimes yes, sometimes no. But that's what David's saying. He goes, he's my guide. He directs me when I lack clarity. He's a light to my path. He's a lamp to my feet. His direction is what gives me soundness and security. The Lord is the one that's pointing out the direction I should go. And beloved, I think it is absolutely essential for believers, especially in the the climate that we're in right now in our nation, to not look to any other institution or person as our God. We've got to look to the Lord as our light. Not any human, not any, you know, politician, not any promise from a government institution or or bank or economic forecast. The Lord's gotta be our light because he'll tell you to do the exact opposite of what human and conventional wisdom says to do. He's gotta be our guide or we will trust in chariots and horses, trust in the strength of men rather in the name of our God and his leadership. And I tell you, his leadership is perfect and it's completely unorthodox. (laughs) <laughs> he'll tell you to do the weirdest looking thing. And if truly the Lord is your light, you can, you can be confident. Yeah. Even when all the forecasts and all the things that are going on in society are very strange. And Think about Noah. You know, Noah, the Lord was Noah's light. Noah built an ark in the desert. For a hundred years, he's out there building a boat. Made zero sense to anyone around. Conventional wisdom would say, brother, you need to do something different with your finances. You're buying all that lumber and building a boat. What are you thinking? Okay, the boat was okay, but now what are you doing? You're getting animals. Noah, you've lost it. The scripture calls him a preacher of righteousness, he's a prophet. The prophet Noah stands and declares, There's coming a flood, it's gonna rain. And they go, We've got thousands of years of empirical evidence that says there's nothing no such thing as water that falls from the sky. There's dew that rises in the morning and it it waters the grounds, Noah. (laughs) You're just a little bit of a fanatic. He says, No, the Lord is my light, He is my guide. And knowing in a time where it makes no sense to do what he does, he does the only thing that makes sense. You know, three days after it started raining, he was the only one that looked like he was, you know, had any sense. The Lord is my light. That, so we lean to the direction of the Lord. We lean to the light of God to direct us in times where we lack clarity. The Lord is my light. It also means this, that he is my deliverer. That where there is darkness, the Lord is the one that drives out darkness and releases light. I'm trusting in the Lord to deliver my soul. I'm trusting in the Lord to deliver my mind. I'm trusting in the Lord to release light in me that I would no longer have any foothold of darkness in me. And the Lord is the illuminator. He's the revelator. He's the one that releases truth and revelation. He is our light. He is the one that releases understanding and knowledge of the, of the will of the Lord to us. He's our guide, our deliverer, our illuminator. John eight twelve. it says it so cleanly. This is Jesus. The Lord is my light. This is Jesus. John eight twelve. Then Jesus again spoke to them and he said this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me, there he is, our guide. We'll not walk in darkness, there he is, our deliverer. But we'll have the light of life. He's our illuminator. People want to live life to the fullest, and so they do things like jump out of airplanes and climb mountains and get adrenaline rushes. <laughs> and I'm all for having, you know, fun things, you know, doing fun things. But there is some, something, someone who is the light of life. That's Jesus. And re- the, the revelation of the Lord to the soul is what causes life to ignite in the soul. And I think David, when he's on the run there, he's going, I need a deliverer. I need a guide. And I need someone to fill my soul with life. I need the Lord is my light. I need the life of God to carry me through this time of challenge. So there it is. It's probably much more to the Lord is my light, but I like that. The guide, the deliverer, the illuminator. And then he said, and the Lord is my salvation. This is so interesting to me. I just I love this. So, the uh the Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua. Anybody know Jesus name in Hebrew? Yeshua, exact same word. Yahweh is my salvation. And so if you if you take the scriptures that use this term salvation, it's it, the Hebrew word Yeshua is the one that's used most in the Old Testament and translated salvation. If you take it and you don't translate it, you just leave the, the name of the Lord and you, name, you leave salvation with the Hebrew terms, it reads this way. Yahweh is my Yeshua. And this is how, this is how the Lord does. Throughout the entire Old Testament... You should just do this, it's fun. Look up the word salvation and then just put in the word Yeshua because that's the Hebrew word. Just read it as if it's Jesus and here you have, through the entire Old Testament, it's a prophetic testimony to the Jews. Salvation is in Yeshua because Yeshua is Yahweh. Yahweh is my Yeshua. I love it. So cool how the Lord does. The first time we see that phrase, it's Moses. Right after the Lord delivered the nation of Israel. Right after the Red Sea crossing. He goes, the horse and the rider thrown in the sea. And he goes, the Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. The Lord is my Yeshua. And it's a prophetic signpost proclaiming of salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. I just, I just, as I just went through the Old Testament, began to read the verses where the word salvation is in there. The Lord is, I just began to read it. The Lord is my Yeshua. The Lord is Yeshua. The Lord is my strength, the stronger of my life. Because Yeshua. And I just began to read it, Jesus' name in there. And it, I tell you, it was, it had an impact on me. I, I was moved because of the, the ways of the Lord are perfect. I mean, he, he's writing that in there as a prophetic hint to anybody who can read Hebrew. Yahweh is my Yeshua. So this word salvation, it means savior, but it doesn't mean it in the way that that we would normally take it. Savior, we think of save from my sins. This is rescuer. The Lord is my rescuer. The Lord is my rescuer. The Lord is my guide He's my deliverer, he's my illuminator, and he is my rescuer. And I just, I don't know about you, but I had to take inventory of my life and think about the different challenges and trials and difficulties I've been through. And and sometimes yes, sometimes no, but I just had to look at it and say, now how many times have I really waited on the Lord for him to be my rescuer? You know what I'm saying? Financial challenges. You know, it's it's you you're getting to that place of man, it's not looking so good. And you start dropping hints. People you're around, "Man, I'm just believing the Lord for 8795 for my light bills coming due in a few weeks. Praise God. Just trusting in God to pay that for me." He could use anybody as a vessel, maybe somebody like you. You never know. The Lord, I believe, will provide for me. <laughs> and I've, I've, I looked in my life about how often when challenges have come, have I really believed that he was my rescuer? Or maybe I looked to somebody else as my rescuer. Or maybe I just started working with my own strength Trying to rescue myself, it's rare that we will allow the Lord to be our rescuer. I, I think oftentimes because we live in a we live in a nation that's got so much, we are so used to being fully taken care of either by our job, family, our government or whatever this feature of the Lord being our rescuer. It was, it was ministering to me. I was going, man, Lord, have I, re- have I really believed in you as my rescuer? Think about Jesus. See, we, we look at the accusations against Jesus and we go, well, it's clearly false. I mean, Jesus was sinless. All those trumped up charges that the Jewish Sanhedrin brought against him, clearly it was all false. And there he is before a man that can set him free. He goes, I can set you free or I can kill you. He goes, They're saying these things about you. What do you say? And there's Jesus. He goes, You wouldn't have any authority over me if it wasn't given you from heaven. He goes, I could say it right now, and legions of angels would come to my assistance. But there we see him as a sheep is silent before its shears. Jesus keeps his mouth shut. Knowing that the Lord is his rescuer. Somebody might say, well, from a certain standpoint, it doesn't look like he got rescued very good. He got beaten, bloodied, and brutalized and crucified. Where was the rescue then? In the resurrection. (laughs) You know what our problem is? We want resurrection without the cross, unfortunately. (laughs) You can't see the power of the victory uh, uh, of the cross in those first 12, 24 hours. (laughs) I mean, think about the disciples who had the prophetic words from Jesus. He goes, I'm gonna be raised up the third day. 24 hours in, they are freaking out. They're hiding. They're worried. They're scared. They're, They're not very confident. It's hard to see the rescue, the deliverance of the Lord, the salvation of our God. Sometimes sometimes it's hard to see the, wor- the workings of the Lord in your life from a, from a short distance. Sometimes you've got to be five years removed. and you look back and you go, man, that was the best thing that could have happened. It looked like a total shipwreck when I was going through it. But that's the best thing that could have happened. Because if that didn't happen, all of these things wouldn't have happened. The Lord is your rescuer. (laughs) Brother, that doesn't make much sense what you're doing right there. I mean, everything's falling apart, and look at you. You're not you're what you're praying and fasting. What good is that? You need to do this and this. Come on, man, do this and this and this and get yourself some, some help. The Lord is my salvation. Man, that beats against like, all of our American ways. The Lord is your salvation. That's nice, but where is he now? Jesus on the cross, nails in his arms and feet, crown of thorn on his, thorns on his head, back ripped off, face ripped out. Where is your God now? I tell you, beloved, I'm, I'm telling you, When we follow Jesus, we will follow him into cross times. Unto crucifixion moments. Unto, if God is really his God, let him deliver him now. And you die in it. Jesus died in it. It wasn't until the stone was rolled away. That you could see the salvation of God. Like I said, our challenge is we want resurrection without crucifixion. <laughs> Amen, Billy. Good preaching. Praise God. <laughs> we want microwave blessing. Um, our, here, here's our challenge. We're mostly raised on a gospel of self-preservation mixed with immediate gratification. Yeah. How can I get the most out of it for me to make me the most happy, give me the most stuff, make me the most comfortable as fast as possible? And anything that doesn't produce more stuff, more comfort, doesn't look like God. Or if there's a delay in it and we can't see the immediate results, it doesn't fit our, our uh, box of immediate gratification and that doesn't look like God. We would almost think that God bloodied and crucified on the cross doesn't look like God. <laughs> amen he's our rescuer he's our is he, is he your rescuer see I when I really started thinking about David and all this the Lord is my light and my salvation Man that, that, took, that took on a whole new meaning for me and I started realizing sometimes the Lord is my light sometimes my opinion is my light Sometimes the political forecast is my light. And sometimes the Lord's my salvation. He's my rescuer. And sometimes I'm my rescuer. And sometimes I'm good at dropping hints and I let others be my rescuer. That's not to say that you can't ever ask for help. We all need one another. We, we need to love and, and take care of one another. That's for sure. But there's times... When you gotta be like David, and you just gotta lay your request out before the Lord and just say, You're my rescuer. And then there's times when the Lord will bring you to places and no one can help you, except for God. And then it's when we have to stand still and see the Yeshua of our God, the salvation of our God. The Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. You guys are familiar with this verse, right? Sounds different all of a sudden, doesn't it? The other versions translate strength as stronghold. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. The Lord is the fortress of my life. The Lord is the defense of my life. So he gives you this picture of a shelter. The Lord is the shelter, the protector of my life. I started thinking about it when trials and challenges have come and you need strength There's a place of strength you can have in the Lord that doesn't just prop you up enough to sort of get you barely through it. There's actually a place of strength in the Lord that can actually pick you up over the problems. Because honestly, if the Lord is the strength of my life, there is no problem that can overcome me. Because the Lord is stronger than every problem. The Lord is the strength of my life. What an incredible thought that I am no longer relying on my own strength, but I'm relying on the Lord's strength. I'm no longer relying on my own means. I'm relying on the Lord's means. I'm no longer relying on my ability to hide myself or protect myself. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my defender. The Lord is my rear guard. The Lord is the strength of my life. He's my fortress. He's describing when you're under attack, where do you run? (laughs) And I just thought about how often when I've had people disagree with me, what do I do? I'll run and get a few people I know that will agree with me. (laughs) I know that's ugly, but it's just true. And so what, that's what, I think that's human. I think that's how many people do. If a couple people say a couple negative things about you. You just run to a couple other people and go, come on, that's not true, right? Some of us need some good friends and go, that, that would look at us and go, no, they're really right. You really, seriously, you, need, you got some issues there, bro. Some stuff you got to... I think, I think so many people operate that way. They, instead of the Lord being their strength or their stronghold, the place they run, their friends are their strength or their stronghold, their family are their strength or their stronghold. Now, I'm not against friends being there for you in a time of, of challenge. I think that's right. But ultimately, it's God we're trusting, not people. We've got to trust God. Because in a minute, we're gonna be able to see real clear, because I believe massive challenges are coming. I I don't think a little bit. I think big time. And I think we're gonna see how little and how frail the strength of men is. And in a minute, I mean, it's gonna be nice to have your friend there to love you and hug you and cry with you, but that's not gonna be the stronghold, the strength of your life. It's gonna have to be God. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. The Lord is my light. He's my guide, my deliverer, my illuminator. The Lord is my salvation. He's my rescuer, my savior. The Lord is my strength, my stronghold. My fortress, my defense. So then he goes on and he says, whom, of whom shall I be afraid? Whom shall I fear? And that was how, I, that's how I knew that I didn't actually believe the first three phrases because the amount of times that fear and concern about challenges, situations, and, and people's opinions actually have a, a, a hook in me, actually move my heart because I think the guy that has the Lord as his light and his salvation and his strength, his deliver, his fortress, the person that has that fully landed doesn't tend to fair, fear what men can do to them doesn't tend to fear what circumstances are gonna come because they are so connected to the delivering, saving, rescuing power of God, they, they just don't, they're just not moved by the threat of the enemy. They're just not moved by it. They really have a life with God that's like this. They're just so connected to God. They're so settled and sound in their soul and their relationship with the Lord. They're not moved by tra- challenges and trials. They're not moved by, by attacks of the enemy. They are so locked in, their soul is settled in strength. Quiet confidence. So Isaiah 30 says. Quiet confidence. Man, there's David. See, I'm reading these words and I'm thinking, these sound more like the words of an aged man who's been through some stuff than a young man who's sort of just trying to figure it out. It sounds like a guy that's got, you know, he's kind of walking with a limp. He's been through a few things, and he's kind of telling us, okay, this is where you gotta lock in. You gotta lock into the Lord as your guide. You gotta lock into the Lord as your as your fortress and your deliverer. You got to lock into the Lord as your salvation, your rescuer. When when stuff gets bad, he goes, I've been through a couple. I know what this is like. You got to lock into the Lord in this because if you don't, I'm telling you, you will get to see how frail your ability is to be your own illuminator, your own guide, your own fortress, your own standby. You'll get to see how weak of a revelator you are. I don't want to look at my, I don't want to have to deal with the weakness of my own strength because I try to prop myself up and save myself. Oh, I don't want to have to stare at that again. I've done that a few times. Tried to be my own rescuer. Tried to be my own advocate. Tried to be my own strength. I've done that a few times and ooh, it's ugly. This sounds like a man that's been through it and he's saying, listen guys, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. He's your light, he's your guide, he's your salvation, he's your stronghold, he's your deliverer. Because I'm telling you, that's the way through. So really, I think this is this psalm, it is, it's a it's a psalm of faith in the Lord's deliverance. Confidence in the Lord's deliverance. That's really what it is. Confidence in the Lord's deliverance. But as I'm reading it, the 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 the, the issue to me that it's highlighting is uh, self preservation. Our propensity to look to self and to look to man to preserve ourselves I think that's ultimately the issue that's being hammered in me. Because if I really lock into and believe the Lord is my light, he is my rescuer. All of a sudden, all sorts of mechanisms that I use, to manipulate circumstance and try to, you know, see my own salvation come by my own strength. All of a sudden, I don't put any energy into that and I start putting more energy into what David said he was putting energy into, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and inquiring. Thought about a lot how much more I would have gained in God if I would have had more conversations with God about my challenges and less conversations with people. You guys all right this morning? I know these are kind of tough sayings, but you know what the problem is? We are so used to a gospel of self-preservation that we almost, it's almost not even Christianity anymore. I, I mean, Jesus says this. this five times in the gospels this is laid out real clear. Luke 9 just says it's as clear as any other place. This is Christianity, beloved. Jesus said this. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross daily and let him follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And this idea of self-preservation where we believe in the gospel that just says things are gonna get good, uh, just gonna get better for you and blessed and, and, and all these good things will come if you just come to Jesus, they've just missed quite a major uh, thrust of the gospel message, which is lay your life down and he will raise you up. That's Christianity. And there's joy in that journey. I mean, there's beauty in that journey. There's love in that journey. There's real faith in that journey. The journey of the life laid down. I tell you, it's not very American, but I tell you, it's very Christian. Laying your life down for others is the greatest manifestation of love. Laying your life down for the gospel, that's faith laying your life down for Jesus, losing your life for his sake. He goes, I tell you, in that you'll find life. You'll find life. And this is what I see David, is the whole psalm is expressing challenges and trials and tribulations and warfare and all sorts of things that are coming against him. He goes, here's what I've learned. I've got to trust in the Lord through all of this. If I don't, I'm going to fall. But Lord, I'm trusting in you. And the way I'm doing it is I'm leaning into you. I'm leaning into prayer. I'm leaning into your beauty and the glory of who you are. I'm leaning in to inquire of you, to hear your mind on these matters. And from there, I will be saved. I will be satisfied. I will be secure when I lean into you it's so so key many will strive to preserve themselves to be their own strength David said the Lord is a, he's the strength of my life so I don't want just I don't want the verses just to be nice little phrases I want to actually embody them you know, I don't want them to be sort of like Christian slogans. Lord is my light and my salvation. I actually want to live that. There's, there's, there's I mean, there's untold blessing when we actually live the very verses that we, that we read. That's actually the essence of faith, when you actually live the thing, when you live like it's real. Lord, I pray, deliver us from a gospel of immediate gratification and self-preservation. all right I'll land with this so he says it he goes I'm not going to be afraid I'm not going to fear the Lord is my stronghold he goes and when the wicked when they came against me to devour my flesh to eat up my flesh he goes I've got time after time after time to prove it when you look through the life of David and you see how many close calls he had with Saul and he, David was out there in a place where he couldn't trust in his own strength. You're living in a cave. Think about this. Here's David in the cave of Adullam and all the guys that didn't pay their taxes and were disgruntled with the government came and lived with him too. <laughs> now it's not just he's got to figure out, You know, I got to get, you know maybe he's thinking I've got to kill a rabbit to, to eat for lunch and me and my few guys. No, he's got 400 discontents with him. 400 malcontents with we got to all live together. He goes, I'll tell you what. First thing I'm going to do, parents, you just go over there. That guy's going to take care of you good. I've got major challenges to deal with here. But the Lord, you know what the Lord does with David? He pulls out all of the natural means that David could use to be able to prop himself up and rescue himself. And the Lord has to become his strength and his salvation in that place. He's living in the cave of Adullam. He's running around from city to city. Saul is chasing him here and there. And finally, what does David do? David learns his lesson the hard way. He goes to a place called Ziklag. It's a city of the Philistines. You know what I believe was going on at Ziklag David was lying to the Philistine king. He said, I'm going out and I'm raiding all these these cities of the Jews. But really what he was doing is he was raiding all the cities of the Philistines and bringing back the spoils, killing every person so that nobody could tell the tale that David was actually the one that did this. And here's what David's doing. He's coming back to the king of the Philistines and saying, I'm killing the Jews. Meanwhile, he's out there killing Philistines. You know what I really believe David was doing at Ziklag? I think he was trying to bring about the prophetic promises that he would be king and he was trying to do it with the arm of his own strength. He's out there in the middle of compromise, building his own city, lying left and right. till finally, he goes out with the king of the Philistines. He's going to face Saul in battle. Now, you remember David didn't touch Saul on a couple of occasions. But this time, they're marching out together. And when David marches out together against against Saul and his armies, while he's out there, bands of marauding raiders come, and they burn Ziklag to the ground. And David doesn't get to kill Saul, and he doesn't get to build his own kingdom. Because on the way over there to kill Saul, I think David had kind of just stepped over the line for a minute. That's my opinion. The, the kings of the Philistines they say, "Wait, this is the guy that they wrote that song about. How many of us he's killed? We're not letting him fight with us. He'll turn on us. Send him back." So he gets turned back, and where does he go? He goes back to Ziklag to find it's all burned to the ground, and all the women and children are taken. And that's when we get David encouraging himself, "Where in the Lord?" See, God has a way of getting all the natural means that you could trust in, getting rid of them. Kicking out all the props that we prop ourselves up with. I believe the reason why the Lord is inviting us into a Psalm 27 season is that we learn to trust him. as our light and our salvation because we might be uh, looking at a season where some more of the props are gonna get kicked out. I think that makes a lot of sense. And the people of God would learn to be a people that would say, The Lord is the strength of my life. The Lord is the strength of my life. Our, our nation, we've experienced a recession. We feel the effects of that. Many have experienced challenges in their jobs and, and have lost work and, and and lost finance. But ultimately we are still leading all the nations in our economy. I'm gonna tell you, we have not seen tough times just yet. We've seen tough comparatively for us, but really, we've not seen tough times yet. You know, the Lord is still the Lord in nations that are number 50 on the list in their economies. He's still the Lord there. And places where the unemployment's 20, 25%. Guess what? God's still God. Imagine that. Promises are true still. He's still the rescuer. He's still the strength of our lives. He's still God. Regardless of whether the economy and the economic forecast is good or bad, he's still God. And the people of God have got to get to the place where we say, the Lord is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? What shall I fear? I trust God regardless. See, I start talking like that, talking 25% unemployment people go, whoo, that's scary. Well, if the Lord is our light and our salvation, guess what? Truly, you don't have to fear. That's real, Beloved that's real because he is our strength. He is our deliverer. He is our provider. And I just believe that the Lord might be bringing us to a place where he kicks out the props to where we have to fully live what we say we believe. Psalm 27. Thank you, Lord, for Psalm 27. Thank you for the promises of deliverance, past deliverances, future deliverances, And even current deliverances. Good, amen. Let's stand. Somebody was glad that I was going to be back preaching. Maybe you're not so glad anymore. (laughs) Uh huh. (laughs) Mm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, I know, you, I know this community loves me and I love this community. I appreciate the relationships that we have here. Lord, help me to be a, a true oracle. Lord, I thank you for Psalm 27. I thank you for inviting us into a season of leaning on your breast and hearing your sayings. Lord, we want to be ones that are so connected, heart level connected with you, that we're not concerned. We're not fearful. We're not afraid of men. We're not afraid of circumstances. Even like David, he said, though an army may encamp against me. (laughs) The war may rise against me. I'll leave me confident in this. Even through something like that, I'll be confident. Lord, I pray, take our relationship with you, past, just living for what gives us the most comfort. Take it into that place of authenticity and love, knowing that you are for our good, whether it mean that we abound or that we're abased. Because I know, Jesus, you'll have the heart of your bride. And I know, Holy Spirit, you'll have the heart of your church in this nation. Lord, come, I pray, come. And root out fears, root out mentalities of self-preservation, root out where we've placed our trust in men and in other things. Let us be a people that trust you, Jesus, trust you. Live a life that's truly like what you died for. Living a life that's truly what you were raised for. Let us have joy in it. fellowship of your sufferings. The power of your resurrection. Come, Holy Spirit, I pray. Confirm truth to us right now, I ask.